turn to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 27. The most important question ever asked in human history was not asked last month, not asked last week, not even the past year, or even the past decade. It, would, it was asked 2,000 years ago by a very unlikely person. In fact, it was a Roman governor. And he asked this question 2,000 years ago. It is the most important question of all of history. In fact, every single person, as they live their life, will formulate a response to that question. And your response has eternal implications. And the man I'm speaking of is actually found in the heart of the passage we're going to look at. In fact, the Gospel of Matthew, as we have made our way It draws all its focus onto this, the most important question. And you actually can find it in Matthew chapter 27, verse 22, when Pilate himself, this Roman governor, asks the question, then what shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? What shall I do with this Jesus who is called the Christ? Now, You'll recall last week as we've been tracking Jesus' final hours that Peter, his choice apostle, the guy who's kind of the leader of the group, the very guy who said, I'll never deny you, Jesus, actually denies him three times with the crowing of a rooster and the gazing look of Jesus, his eyes meeting Peter's. We find this scene starting to take place where this mock trial where Caiaphas has kind of led these men into this whole idea. Of it's, and it's actually an illegal trial because you can't have a criminal trial at night where he's gathered together the Sanhedrin. They're trying to find some sort of accusation against Jesus. They simply, even if they're bribing guys, can't get them to get their stories consistent, can't get two to say the same thing. Finally, just flat out ask him, are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? Are you the promised one of the Old Testament? And Jesus affirms that. And with that, they're like, he starts tearing his clothes. The, a high priest could never tear his clothes, not even in grieving. The only time he could do that is if he heard, like, blasphemy. And to make a show of it, because he does not want to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, despite all the evidence that he is, and Jesus' own very words, starts tearing his clothes, and, they, and that's where we are at at this present time when you come to Matthew chapter 27. Now it says in verse 1, Now when morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people conferred together against Jesus to put him to death, and they bound him and led him away and delivered him to Pilate, the governor. Now what took place after, after they said, You are blaspheming, that is the charge, they're going to hold him. They're holding this from like probably like 2 in the morning, 3 in the morning, till about 5 a.m., they're holding this, this mock trial. He'd appeared before Annas, Caiaphas, but it's illegal to hold a criminal trial at night, so you've got to have it official. So first thing in the morning, I mean, people haven't even run through Starbucks to get their coffee. They're actually going to run this while everybody in Jerusalem is asleep. The Jews from the north in Galilee had already celebrated the Passover that night. They had stayed up late. So they're going to be sleeping. Then you've got all the Jews in the south and the Sanhedrin, the place called Judea. They're going to celebrate their Passover that night. And they're kind of just still asleep. And this is the time they're going to quickly run it through the temple where they're going to run this little mock trial. And so Luke actually records the details in Luke chapter 22, verses 66 through 71. 
They basically ask him the same question. Are you the son of God? Jesus affirms it. They're saying, hey, what further need do we have? This man has blasphemed. What you've got here is innocence rejected. They could find no fault in him. They never found anything wrong with him. When he says that he's the Messiah, that he's the son of God, and you're going to see him, I'm going to be judging you. He's actually speaking truthfully, but they flat out reject him. Well, now, Matthew then actually kind of segues. It's actually like there is this interruption into this account of this trial. It's probably twofold. First of all, chronology suggests that there is an event that takes place where Matthew wants you to see what's taking place with Judas. But also, what's taking place here is a contrast. Jesus, his innocence and his purity is being contrasted to Judas, the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leadership. And you see in 27, beginning in verse 3, you're going to see innocence betrayed. Then when Judas who had betrayed him, saw that he had been condemned, he felt remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See to that yourself. Now the situation is this, that Judas, uh, now he, he was probably observing, we don't know exactly where he's at, his testimony wouldn't be admissible. You would think like, well, hey, you got Judas to betray Jesus, right? Why doesn't he speak up and tell him what the charges are, right? But you see, as a turncoat, uh, as a person who is a traitor, his permission, his, uh, his testimony would not be permissible. And so all of a sudden, the Jewish leadership, they don't really have a high need for Judas anymore. In fact, they could care less about him. They had paid him off. Judas now sees that they're actually going to take Jesus to Pilate. And he realizes that Jesus is an innocent man. He knew that all along. He's been tracking with him for three years, living with Jesus, a part of the band of these key disciples. He knows he's innocent. And he sees that these Jews are intent on killing him. And they're going to try to get the Romans to do it. He doesn't want to have anything part of it. In fact, what's happening is he's got a great deal of remorse and regret. In fact, you even see that in the text there. He saw that Jesus had been condemned and he felt remorse. There's a big difference between remorse and repentance. He is bothered and deeply disturbed by this, but he's not repentant where he's turning to God with his sin. He just doesn't like it. It it bothers him that he was the one that was involved in it. And you see that with people. There's a lot of people that are upset about sin in their life and things that they've done to others because it's made life inconvenient. It bothers them internally. But that's a far different cry to repentance. Regret is very different than repentance where you are turning to God and say, God, be merciful to me. We never see Judas do that. And so what he does there, he feels his remorse. He shows back up with these 30 pieces of silver and he goes to the chief priests and elders. He's saying, listen, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, we don't care. You see to that yourself. Judas knows that Jesus is innocent. And it's like these coins that he has, they become like hot coals in his hands. He literally wants to get rid of them. And there is a text that, that was probably running through his mind. It would be familiar to all Jews. In Deuteronomy 27, verse 25, it says this, Cursed is he who accepts a bribe to strike down an innocent person. You're cursed 
if you accept a bribe to strike down someone who is innocent. And that's exactly what Judas is doing. He's got these coins. He wants to get rid of them. He knows Jesus is innocent. And so he's like playing this game of like hot potato. I've I've got to get rid of it. And so what does he do? Verse 5. He threw the pieces of silver into the temple sanctuary and departed. And he went away and hanged himself. He takes these coins. These coins he now just is like superstitiously is ascribing his guilt to this. He's like, I've got to get rid of this. The, the Jewish leadership, they don't want it. And so what he does is he takes it and he throws it inside the temple itself, forcing the priests and perhaps even some of these leaders to go and pick up these very coins. And then he says, and he went away and hanged himself. Uh, Luke comments this, on this in the first chapter of Acts. And apparently, if you put these two accounts together, he tries to hang himself and something goes wrong. Perhaps the branch breaks. And not only has he managed to kill himself, but he completely disfigures and there's a horrible mutilation that takes place to his body. Perhaps he actually hangs himself off a tree over a cliff. Something goes wrong, but he completely mutilates his body even in the process. He comes to a complete end. You see, he thought that Taking his own life would free him from guilt when in actuality it united him with guilt forever. He had heard about Jesus and his teaching on hell, but Judas Judas never came to a place of trusting Christ. Jesus wasn't what Judas wanted. He had a self-styled Messiah. Many people wanted a, a, a Messiah that would be a political, economic, and military leader. And in Judas' case, one that would set him up for very well for the rest of his life with a lot of power and prestige. Obviously, that wasn't happening with Jesus. And even though he knew that Jesus was innocent, he betrays him. Well, look at this. The chief priests, verse 6, they took the pieces of silver and said, Whoa, you know, it is not lawful, and don't miss this, to put them into the temple treasury since it is the price of blood. Did you see that? You see, they know that Jesus is innocent. This is like, it's called blood money. It is payment for murder. They know that Jesus is innocent. They know that they have actually violated that passage from Deuteronomy 27. They know they're the ones that have actually paid him off. And they said, we we can't have these coins. We can't put it in the temple treasury. We know that we paid them off. This is is the price of blood. And so like, what what do we do with this stuff? And so verse 7, they, they conferred together, and with the money, they bought the potter's field. It's perhaps the very field that, that Judas goes and hangs himself in as a burial place for strangers. And for this reason, that field has been called the field of blood. The field of blood to this day. It's a reminder. You, you are the one that put this payment of, up for murder. But let me just, just like Matthew You think like it's all unraveling. Where's God in all this? Let me assure you, everything is working precisely to the details of God's sovereign control. And just so that we will always remember, no matter what is going on in life or with this scene with Jesus, he's in full control. Look at verse 9. Then that which was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. And look at this. And they took the 30 pieces of silver and the price of the one whose price had been set by the sons of Israel, and they gave them for the potter's field as the Lord directed me. 
Uh, Matthew describes this to Jeremiah because these are themes especially found in Jeremiah chapter 19, verses 1 through 13. It is also kind of word for word what you find in Zechariah chapter 11, verses 12 and 13, where these details are precisely laid out, spoken of by the prophets long before they occurred, fulfilled completely in Jesus. Innocence is betrayed. Well, now we're going to find this scene. Now it goes back. Remember, they had bound Jesus. That means they tie him up like a criminal. They have tied his hands tightly. Jesus has already been up all night. He's already taken their abuse. Remember, they're blindfolding him, beating him, hitting him, saying, who hit you? Because it's prophesied that the Messiah will know things without being able to see, right? So they tie up Jesus. He's got to look pretty haggard by this time. And now they haul him off to, to Pilate, the governor. Now, Just a few words on this. Verse 11 here, you see, now Jesus stood before the governor. Let me just tell you a little bit about Pilate. You're you're familiar with him. We don't know a lot about life before he was the ruler of Judea, which is the southern part of of Israel. And we don't know a lot about life afterwards, although there is a strong tradition that he commits suicide. But for the 10 years from A.D. 26 to 36, when Pilate is the key guy, he's the governor of Judea, we do have some real detail. And this man had a hatred for the Jews, even though he was their ruler. Let me just give you some information about him. One Jewish philosopher named Philo describes Pilate's reign like this. He said his venality, that means that his ability to be bribed, his violence, his thefts, his assaults, and his abusive behavior, his frequent executions of untried prisoners, and his endless savage ferocity. This led to a great disdain of the Jewish people to Pilate. You know, it's always important to have a good start, right, when you've got a new job. Let me tell you what Pilate does. After he is sent by the Roman Senate to take over Judea, and mind you, Israel is this vassal nation at the very far end of the Roman Empire. And it's always been a source of trouble because these Jews are very political and they're very religious and they got this fervor about them. And so you want to send a guy who's got a lot of maturity, a lot of statesmanship, he's got an iron will, and he can get things done. He can work with difficult people. Because Israel had always kind of been a thorn to the side of the Romans. They had conquered these people, but these people would rebel. So they send in Pilate. And so Pilate decides, you know, previous policies, I don't think I like them. So what he's going to do is he's going to show him who's boss. So when Pilate takes over, shortly after he does, he does something that no previous Roman ruler had done. And under the cover of night, he has all these Roman soldiers bring in the Roman standards, which actually has an image of Caesar on it. No other previous ruler in Israel had done this because an image of Caesar was a violation because now you have an image of God and that was violating one of their Ten Commandments. And so they never thought they would infuriate the people, but Pilate said, I'll show him who's boss. So he shows up one night, has all the soldiers. When when the people of Jerusalem wake up, Jerusalem is filled with the image of Caesar. It led to such a revolt that the, the Jewish people made it clear that every single one of them would fight to the death. You would have no nation if you don't move those. And Pilate was toying with the idea of killing them all in an amphitheater. But yet uh, he bowed finally under this political pressure. And all of this was starting to alarm the Roman Senate, that Pilate was not fit for duty. He was not the man. He didn't have what it took. And so they're coming to Pilate. Pilate is no friend of the Jews, and the Jews, especially the Jewish leadership, they hate him. And so now you're going to have this great meeting at the Passover feast. Now, Pilate didn't live in Jerusalem. He actually lived on a coastal town off the Mediterranean, a place called Caesarea, a nice little place set up. could stay away from all the fervor of all the Jews that he hated so much. But he shows up at Passover, as does Herod, who's the Tetrarch from the north. 
because this is where all the Jews are congregating. So he shows up. There's a lot of extra soldiers on hand and he is there. And so they wake him up. This is probably about 5 a.m., maybe 6 a.m. They bring Jesus before the governor. It is likely that they had to stir him out of his sleep. Hey, there's something seriously going on. Pilate, get up. There's all the Jews, all the Sanhedrin. They, they got a guy all beat up and tied up. Something's going on. And they're demanding and insisting a court with you. Now, John tells us that the Jewish leadership, they would not go into his house because according to rabbinic law, you would be defiled if you went into a Gentile's home. And this is the biggest day of the year. It's Passover. Can't be defiled on Passover, right? So they are standing outside. So Pilate likely comes. He dresses them from the courtyard and they've got Jesus and they throw Jesus to him and he's brought and so Jesus then stands before the governor and the governor questioned him saying, are you the king of the Jews? Because they're yelling out these objections and why this Jesus needs to be gone with. And Jesus said to him, it is as you say. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he did not answer. Now, let me tell you what's going on here. It's very important for Pilate to keep the Jewish people happy especially on a feast like Passover. He doesn't want to infuriate these leadership. He's going to try to keep them happy, but he disdains them and he's not going to play along. You see, it's kind of like this. We're just going to throw Jesus. We're going to say, this guy is causing all sorts of problems. Get rid of him. Pilate's going to, you want another dead Jew? I'll kill him. Fine. I'm back to bed. That's what they're hoping Pilate will do. And that way, the Jewish leadership can go make it look like, hey, Pilate did this, not us. It's all him. But he must have woke up on the wrong side of the bed. Because Pilate is like, I'm not going to be a puppet for your little causes. What are the real charges that you've got against this man? And so Luke actually gives it to us in a sentence. Luke chapter 23, verse 2. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. When he, the misleading our nation, Pilate probably could care less. You want to be misled? I don't care. Just, just obey. But when they talk about paying taxes to Caesar, okay, well, that is a charge that you could die for. You don't pay your taxes, you die. You don't just get a visit from an IRS agent. You get a ticket to get crucified if you don't pay your taxes. And then they also say that he himself is Christ, a king. They're making him out to be a political king. You see, they're trying to get Jesus to come off as a seditionist, a guy who's leading a revolution, a revolt. And so he's telling people not to pay taxes, and he's trying to, he's setting himself up as a king, the Christ. And they're like, Pilate, you've got to get rid of him. So they bring these kind of charges to him. Well, John records in John 18 these, this interchange that he has with Jesus. And he asks him, are you a king? And he says, I am. I'm a king, and I speak truth, and my people Hear my voice, those who are seeking truth. And so Pilate is amazed. He's got to do something about these charges because these are no lightweight charges. Time out. What did the Jews find Jesus guilty of during their trial? Remember they had three faces of their trial? Anybody remember? What was it? I heard it. What was it? Blasphemy. Jesus is guilty in their mind because why? He's calling himself the Son of God, the Messiah, the Promised One. He's equating himself to be God. That ain't going to work for the Jews. We've got to kill him. But blasphemy is, Romans, you want to call yourself a God? That's fine. Probably not a good idea, but I don't care. 
That's not a punishable crime. So they've got to whet the appetite for Roman justice. So they focus on taxes and revolt. Now, did Jesus say not to pay your taxes? Actually, they had questioned him on that very point. Remember, should we pay taxes or not? And Jesus said, listen, whose image is on these coins? Caesar's? Well, then give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God. If you've got God's image in your life, you're meant for God. But if these little coins say Caesar on them and they've got this little picture on there, well, then go ahead and pay them. And, and Pilate's got it. He's smart. And you're going to find out how smart he is. When the Jews are accusing him of not paying taxes, he knows the, Rome, the Jewish Sanhedrin and all the Jews hate the Roman taxes. They didn't suddenly have a change of heart at Passover. They're like, oh, we love to pay taxes. And this guy's telling us not to. Come on, Pilate, help us out. He sees through them. He knows it's because of envy that they're handing him over. And so the Jewish leadership, they've got, they've got Jesus right there. All of a sudden, you start, you, when you made your way from Caiaphas' house all the way to the praetorium, which is kind of the nerve center where Pilate stays when he's in Jerusalem. It's the nerve center of the Roman army in Jerusalem. You got all these people like, oh, something's going on. Something's going on. All the Sanhedrin there. They, got, they have Jesus. They got the prophet Jesus. He's all tied up. He's beat up. He's before. People are starting to flock. Pilate's starting to feel the pressure. Now, why didn't Pilate just send everybody away and say, listen, I don't find any guilt in him. He's, he's done nothing wrong. Why doesn't he send him away? Well, I'll tell you why because he's under political pressure. He knows he's about one bad decision away from getting fired, sent to exile, or worse. And so look at the text. Verse 13, Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many things they testify you? Because Jesus is not saying anything. He won't answer a single thing. And verse 14, and he did not answer him with regard to even a single charge. So the governor was quite amazed. Pilate had seen a lot of people. He'd sent hundreds, if not thousands, to their death. Whether they were innocent or guilty, they'd always be pleading, I'm, I'm not guilty. Please let me go. Please don't crucify me. But not Jesus. He had never seen anything like this before. And so he's under pressure. If he, if he bows to the Jews... He's, appealing, he's appeasing the people he hates. But if he doesn't send to death a guy who is supposedly is leading a revolt and telling people not to pay taxes, that's all. All the Jews have to do is report that, and he probably, it's the end of them. And so he's under a lot of pressure. And they're listening, he's listening to these charges. He's like, man, I, I wish this would have never happened. And then someone says, yeah, his teaching is spread all the way up through Galilee. In fact, that's where he's from. He hears Galilee, that one word. All of a sudden, lights go on. He, he's got it. He can get out of this situation. You see, Pilate's jurisdiction didn't include Galilee. Why, that was Herod Antipas's, the, the tetrarch from the north who oversaw Galilee and Perea. He hears Galilee, and uh, this is all recorded in Luke chapter 23. And he says, did you say Galilee? Well, let me tell you. It just so happens that Herod Antipas is in town as well for the Passover feast. Well, then, if he's from Galilee, let Herod deal with this. Now, Herod and, and Pilate, they actually had a little hatred going on. They absolutely despised one another. This is brilliant. This is a brilliant move. You saddle one of your enemies with this huge problem, right? And you save yourself, you go back to bed, right? And so he says, did you say Herod? Well, you send him to Herod. And so Luke records this, and, and Herod actually had wanted to see Jesus for some time. I mean, he'd been traveling around all of Herod's area. Herod had wanted to see him. He'd heard about all these miracles. 
Herod Antipas, he was the son of Herod the Great. Herod the Great is the guy who killed all the babies in Bethlehem in Matthew chapter 2. Remember that? Herod Antipas is the guy who married his sister-in-law, Herodias. John the Baptist said, no, you should have done that. That's a total violation of what God created marriage for. Herod Antipas didn't like that. Remember, they took his John the Baptist's head off. That's Herod Antipas. Well, he'd want to see Jesus, and now here's this golden opportunity, first thing in the morning. And they hauled Jesus in front, and when he sees Jesus, this is the one he was expecting. Jesus all beat up, bloody, spit in his hair, blood drying to the side of his head and face where he's been hit. He wants Jesus to do some miracles. He sees Jesus like a circus attraction. Do something for me. And Jesus just stands there. He doesn't say a single thing. And after he can't get Jesus to do anything for him, what do you do? Well, if you're a Roman, you don't like something, you just take out your anger on him. And so they do. They beat him up some more. And they put a royal robe on him. And they send him back to Herod, uh, back to uh, Pilate. And so when you pick up the text in verse 25, that's where we're at. Now, at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the people any one prisoner whom they wanted. And this is kind of how it worked. There had apparently been a tradition that had started probably long before Pilate had gotten there. In order to kind of keep the Jews happy, they would at the, pe- at the feast of Passover, the, Jewish, the Roman officials would pick out a few Jewish prisoners and they would allow the Roman people to pick out one that they could have released. He'd be relinquished from whatever he'd done. He, he probably wouldn't go face either prison, torture, or crucifixion. They'd get a pick. And so Pilate's going, man, if Herod didn't bite on that one, send him back to me. Oh, Passover, right? I get a pick somewhere. All right, I'll make this real easy. I can get out of this for sure. Verse 15, now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the people any one prisoner whom they wanted. And at this time, they were holding, oh, you see it? Verse 16, a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Barabbas was a murderer. He led sedition. He actually led a revolt. And he was a robber. Let me assure you, even the Jewish people were afraid of Barabbas. Barabbas, his name, his name means son of the father. Bar means son. Barabbas, son of the father. It is possible that Barabbas had been a rabbi's son, gone bad and gone wild. And so Pilate says, listen, all right, Passover, there's, we've, I'm holding a notorious prisoner. And so verse 17, so when the people gathered together, Pilate said to them, all right, Passover, Let's get this over with first thing in the morning. The, you know, Barabbas, when he gets hauled out of his cell, he's, he's likely thinking, they're going to kill me. Because he's on death row. And perhaps Pilate's getting started first thing in the morning. And he gets hauled up there. He's thinking, that's it. I'm going to be scourged, and then I'm going to be crucified. And so when the people gather together, Pilate said to them, who do you want me to release for you? Barabbas. Murderer, seditionist, robber, you hate him, I hate him? Or Jesus, who is called the Christ, the Messiah? The same one, remind you, that about six days ago, you were saying, Hosanna, son of David. You rolled out the red carpet, you put down those leaves, you had him riding in a donkey, and everybody's all excited about him? All right, you got two here. What do you want? Do you really want to see a seditionist put to death? Jesus, really? You think he's leading a revolt? How about Barabbas? Which one do you want? The people decide. All of a sudden, the Sanhedrin, these Jewish leaders, they realize Pilate has outfought them. All of a sudden, 
he's got himself out of this. This is going to look really bad. The people, he's, he's reminding them almost how much they kind of like Jesus. And so they see this here. They, he asks them, who do you want, Barabbas or Jesus, who's all the Christ, called the Christ? Verse 18, for he knew that because of envy they had handed him over. And so this is taking place here. The Jewish Sanhedrin have to act fast. And just at this time, Pilate gets a text message. Pulls up his phone. Whoa! And you know it is. It's from his wife. And I don't, we don't know um, what his wife referred to Pilate as, but I've been thinking about this. I wonder if uh, she called him Sweetie Pie, you know? And maybe that's where it came from, you know? It's a short for Pilate, just Sweetie Pie. He gets this text. You guys are just waking up, right? All right, come on now. And, he, and, it's, and it's from his wife. He's trying to run business. He's got this pretty big court case going on right here. And look at this, verse 19, while he's sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent him a message saying, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for last night I suffered greatly in a dream because of him. At this point, if Pilate's probably thinking, this is no mere man. He's watching how he's going, Jesus is handling this, but the Romans saw dreams as omens. And to hear a message from his wife, obviously that would be pretty important to get interrupted in a situation like this. He gets handed this message. He'd be fearful because it's like, even the gods are telling me that this is a righteous man. And, and Pilate's wife refers to Jesus as a righteous man. God himself likely is the one that gave her this dream. One more warning. Pilate, the best thing for you to do right now is to release Jesus completely and have nothing to do with this man because this man is absolutely righteous. He's what none of us are. And so Pilate's now perplexed. He's got the Sanhedrin. He's got Barabbas. He's got Jesus. He's got this omen now from this dream from his wife. And so the chief priests are trying to act as fast as possible. And verse 20, but the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowds to ask for Barabbas and to put Jesus to death. Can't you just see it? If there was ever a misuse of, of leadership spiritually, this is it. The very same people that are supposed to lead people to truth and to God, all of a sudden they're trying to convince Ask for Barabbas. Ask for Barabbas. Because remember, the people decide, who do you want? They're playing their cards completely. They hate Jesus and everything he stands for. Whatever it'll take. And I'm sure they didn't like Barabbas. Barabbas made their life miserable. And yet they're trying to convince them. Ask for Barabbas and ask that Jesus be put to death. They're just trying to stir up a mob frenzy. And this is what mob rule looks like. And you see it on TV and you see it taking place in the Middle East. You stir them up, even if it doesn't make sense, even if it's not logical, and especially if it's not true. It doesn't matter. Stir them up. Get them thirsty. Call them out. Tell them, ask for Barabbas. Ask for Jesus to be dead. Just get it going. Get that mantra going. But the governor said to them, all right, make a decision. He sees what's taking place. He's watching all this activity among the Sanhedrin. And so he says, you better make your decision now. Which of the two, verse 21, do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. And then Pilate asks the most important question of all history. And that question is what he says in verse 22. Then Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? Then what? shall I do with him, the innocent one? And they made their answer. They all said, 
crucify him. And Pilate cannot believe his word. And he said, why? What evil has he done? But they kept shouting all the more, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. You see, there were people that I'm sure were just caught up in the frenzy of the mob. Our leaders are telling us to say, crucify Jesus? Okay, we'll say it. But there were probably plenty of people that actually didn't really like what Jesus had to say. Jesus didn't meet their expectations of Messiah. They wanted an economic, political, military leader. Jesus was doing none of those. They, they wanted a Messiah that would meet them on their terms and do things the way they would like. Like a lot of people, I'll take God the way I want him. See, Jesus is dealing with sin and heart issues and transformation. He keeps offering himself and offering life. Hey, they want some real things like money, freedom, the Romans off their back. And so they just said, you know what, let's be rid of him. Even though his innocence is declared in the following verses, innocence is condemned. There can find nothing wrong with him. There have been a Jewish trial Three times they can find nothing wrong with him. There's been now a secular Roman trial, a civil trial. Three times, nothing wrong with him. He is condemned in verse 24 when Pilate saw that he was accomplishing nothing, but rather a riot was starting. He took water and he washed his hands in front of the crowd saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to that yourselves. He makes a graphic picture like, I find nothing wrong with him. I want nothing to do with this. This man is innocent. I am washing myself clean of this. He is not deserving of death. He keeps hearing this, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And all the people said, and look at this. His blood shall be on us and our children. They're inviting God's divine wrath upon them. To say his blood be upon us is to say we'll be culpable for it. Not only we, but our children. His blood will be on us. Don't worry about it, Pilate. We want it this way. We want that Jesus dead. His blood will be on our hands. Don't you worry about it. You just keep washing, Pilate. And then, look at this. Verse 26. He released Barabbas for them. And after having Jesus scourged, he handed him over to be crucified. Barabbas, the guy who's really guilty, if they wanted to see an insurrectionist dead, Barabbas was the man. Barabbas likely was going to die that day. Pilate's in the mood. People are going to get killed. They're going to be crucified. Barabbas is let go. He looks. He's freed. He looks at Jesus, who is now condemned in his place. And then Jesus is scourged. It's a brutal word. Uh, what they did is they, they had this like metal, uh, this wooden stick about lie, and they'd have these long leather straps. In these leather straps had bone, metal, and pieces of glass. They had professional soldiers called lictors. And what they would do is they would scourge most people that were crucified, if you were male, they didn't scourge women if they were going to crucify them. They put them up on a pole, they suspended them so their entire back would be all taut, and these lictors would then wrap those leather straps and they would literally rip your body into shreds, so much so that you could even see organs. There were a lot of people that actually died because of the scourging. Some would die by the mere shock that just went through your body, and they started and they went all the way from your back all the way down your legs. And they did this as a form of most extreme punishment. And yet the idea was to keep you alive because they got more in store. 
they're going to hang you on a cross. And so Jesus was handed over, scourged, and he was crucified. And friends, this is the gospel. Jesus, he takes the punishment and he dies as a substitute in our place. He takes all of our sins. He in return gives us his righteousness. He pays the penalty of death. He suffers completely for you and for I. And he gives us his life, his righteousness. Divine justice is fulfilled. And his people live free and full because he took it all. So why did Jesus, the innocent one, take this journey to the cross? Well, let me just list four reasons why. One, Jesus suffered in our place. Let it sink in. He suffered in our place. He did it to secure our salvation. There is no salvation apart from Jesus going through all of this and dying as our penalty in the place of us to face God's divine wrath against the penalty we deserve. He also did this to strengthen our love for him. I want you to think about Jesus. And we're supposed to often think of these scenes because he did this because he loves you. He loves you. And finally, he did this to show us how to persevere. Peter took this all in and he wrote, For you've been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving for you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. You've been called to suffer, he says. This is how you do it. You keep entrusting yourself to the Father. And so the innocent one was condemned to death. So that guilty ones like me and like you might truly live. What will you do with Jesus? Will you turn from him? Or will you trust him with all that you have and all that you are? What will you do with Jesus?